Hear that? Believe it or not, summer is just around the corner. Luckily, Armorall, America's most trusted auto appearance brand, has what your car needs to get that perfect summer shine. Plus, now through May 31st, we'll give you $5 for every 20 you spend on Armorall products. That means car wash pods, protectant, tire shine, you name it. Find out how to get your $5 rebate at armorall.com. Armorall, less work, more clean. Terms apply. With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Lucky Land Casino asking people what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car before my kids' PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Voidware prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. From Autosport.com and Autosport Magazine, I'm Alex Kalanorkas, and this is the Autosport Podcast. Welcome to our latest episode, which is the latest accompaniment podcast to this week's Autosport magazine. We're back again recording just after the latest issue has gone to press on a Tuesday evening, so we'd better quickly check in on how frazzled Autosport chief editor Kevin Turner is feeling after getting the final pages of the magazine to the printers. How are you, Kev? No, I'm, I'm very good. I'm less frazzled. I mean, we don't have Jonathan Noble to confirm that I look less frazzled than the Fernando Alonso podcast. Uh, but uh, yeah, t- today went relatively smoothly. Uh, we finished nice and early. I have a beer if we're allowed to if we're allowed to mention that. Uh and we've got a new fan in the house as well, so I'm slightly less boiling than I was uh, a couple of weeks ago as well. So yeah, things are looking up. I briefly thought you meant like someone telling you what a good job you were doing and that they liked the you know, <laughs> no, that's work. never happened. <laughs> Oh dear, oh dear. Well, um, well. Anyway, also, also helped uh, your day, I imagine, by one of your columnists filing filing his column about twelve hours earlier than he normally does. Yes, that was noted. Yes, you were still defeated by Matt Q, of course. Yeah, I spotted but, that. Um, it was a yeah. I'm sure that would have annoyed you. Um, but uh, yeah, no, it was all. It was all. And the biggest thing actually was there was an enormous. We'll get to this later. There was an enormous amount of uh, UK motorsport on last weekend. So the uh, the national desk was uh, producing. I think it was about twenty two pages this week. Was uh, UK motorsport. So um, and that's not even including British touring cars. So yeah, that was a bit of a whopper today. Blimey, that takes me back about seven years when I would have been helping out on those pages when I was uh, a freelancer or an intern or don't know what I was doing. Anyway, um, better get on to introducing uh, my second guest on this podcast. And actually, the reason why Kevin and I have been uh, having a slightly elongated chat is to give him a moment or two 
to finish his dinner, which when you come to, to hear what this uh, what the cover feature of Autosport magazine is about this week, you'll understand why this is nice and fitting because Jake Boxall Leg, Autosport's technical editor, you've just been enjoying a pizza because I think you might have forgotten this podcast was happening. Yeah, I, I noticed about whenever Martin dropped an email into my inbox saying, here's the podcast link, and I'd already ordered pizza by that point. I was like, oh yeah, I forgot about that. So obviously it was a bit touch and go. It it arrived. I got two slices in, but we've decided to record. So I'll save the rest till afterwards. I don't mind it cold, so I'm I'm good with that. Very, that's very kind of you. It's very kind of you. And cold pizza is excellent. Now the reason why the pizza is so appropriate for this podcast is because. Um, the cover feature for this week's Autosport magazine is all about Ferrari. And actually, the reason why Jake is um, is making a second appearance in a row on one of our cover features podcasts, apart from the fact that he's uh, he's an excellent contributor and an all-round good egg, or so my notes say, uh, but it's because the cover feature package on Ferrari is a two-parter that he and I have produced together. Ferrari, after recording its worst F1 campaign results in 40 years with sixth in the 2020 Constructors' Championship, a result of its controversial settlement with the FIA over its old power unit, which meant last year's SF1000 was a draggy, underpowered car that put the Scuderia firmly back in the midfield and away from regular Class A rivals Mercedes and Red Bull, Ferrari is back. Well, sort of. The team is currently third in the 2021 Constructors' standings and has scored the last two pole positions with star qualifier Charles Leclerc, but it still lacks the ultimate race pace necessary to win on merit, which really made Leclerc's non-start from pole in Monaco all the more painful, as that really was a shot at keeping the lead and holding on for an unlikely win. So, Kev, having gone through all of that, I thought maybe you could explain exactly why, you know, what what what, what is it about Ferrari and its, 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 its resurgence, really, because on the face of it, it is doing better than it was at this stage last season. I think it was uh, sixth after six races in the Constructors' Championship, third, as I said earlier. Why we've decided to, to revisit Ferrari. And just, just before just before you explain, I just wanted to say, um, for, for for listeners, if you if you buy Autosport magazine this week or you're, you're opening your sub, uh, subscriber's copy, I do I do think you should check out the opening spread, the double picture uh, that introduces uh, my part of the, the feature pack- package, which is a sort of an overhead shot of Charles Leclerc driving around what looks like a rather bulging curb, presumably at Monaco, uh, because it looks like a rather nice visual metaphor for Ferrari driving by its previous problems which I assume was completely intentional from uh, our, our excellent uh, designer Michael yeah I think he did have that in mind actually with his with the headline uh, and he's a Ferrari fan as well so I think he probably enjoyed uh, putting that one putting that one together I think um, I mean they've just had two pole positions which at the start of the season I don't think we'd have I don't think anyone would have predicted that I don't think Ferrari would have predicted it um, I think we had a discussion didn't we Alex before the start of the season that Given their driver lineup um, compared to, I think at the time we were talking about Aston Martin, which <laughs> seems crazy now, doesn't it? Given the troubles they've had uh, with the uh, with the tech changes, um, that Ferrari might actually be able to nip back into third place in the constructors' championship if they had a really good season. But actually, they've kind of got there sooner than I expected, and that's despite the fact that I think McLaren have been performing very well, particularly with Lando Norris, of course. So. Yeah, fair play. I think I've criticised Ferrari before for given their history and their resources. They, I think, have probably spent too much time underperforming and not quite getting the job done. So you do wonder, you know, will this malaise go on for a bit longer? But, you know, they've corrected the faults that they identified in 2020. They seem to have done it pretty quickly. They've got two good drivers. There doesn't seem to be the kind of backroom intrigue that we used to associate with Ferrari. 
it seemed a good time to revisit how far they'd come because let's face it, we all know that they're one of the teams that ultimately should be fighting Mercedes and Red Bull at the front. JBL, coming back to you, what are the tech secrets of the Ferrari SF21, which is how it's advertised on the top strap line of the cover of the magazine this week? I don't know if you could obliquely call them secrets because, uh, well, at the start of the year, they were relatively open with what they'd done to the car because obviously last year's SF1000 was... I think problematic is a fair way to describe uh, that particular car because that's very that's putting it very very (laughs) mildly. But anyway, Um, sorry, do carry on. I'm nothing if not diplomatic. Um, But you know, obviously there were issues, and it was a legacy of having that really really powerful power unit that over the off season was neutered somewhat for for various reasons, uh, with which have yet to be disclosed by either Ferrari or the FIA. Oh, this is far too <coughs> diplomatic. And, oh, come on, JBL. You don't have to be this safe. I don't know what I can say. Um, what was suspected was that Ferrari was bypassing the fuel flow regulations. And so what we have now is a second fuel flow meter in the car. This is something I'm sure we've been through before. But that meant that Ferrari could no longer game the system. And so it had an engine that wasn't powerful enough and a car designed to take a more powerful engine that was going to offset that with a little bit more drag for a little bit more downforce, but it no longer has that. So what Ferrari has had to do is redo that engine, and it's put it's put a few new new bits into into that power unit. It's redesigned piston heads and that kind of thing just to get a little bit more power out of it legally. It's also brought the sort of car back towards a more happy medium, if you like. Uh, so what it's done is it's redefined its suspension, its rear end to get more downforce from the rear, but not doing so at the expense of developing massive amounts of drag. At the same time, it's retained that car that, I don't know if you remember to Singapore 2019, but nobody really expected Ferrari to do particularly well, as well as it did, because we sort of saw that car and we thought, oh, it was really good in Belgium, it was really good in Italy, so it's really just good at these top speed venues, but it can't be any good on a street track, surely, but it rode those curbs so easily, and it just looked like every single manoeuvre on the steering wheel was so exact, and it's retained that, and it's worked with, you know, its limitations, um, but it's put a few new bits on, bits on the car, you know, redefining the the nose as well just to try and get the front wing to work a little bit more um so yeah uh, they've put a lot of work into turning around a car that was so bad last year they, they, it's it's worked wonders for them at the moment yeah i think um, the way i like to think of it is i mean if you look in, on the mechanical grip and jb is absolutely right you know they if, going as far back as 2018 at monaco you know the ferrari was you know was quick there yeah they've got the mechanical low end grip you know, pretty well sorted in fact i think leclerc says in um you know in, in in alex's piece that that they're that the car is really good at low speed and they kind of maintain that all the way along what i think they realized during 2019 when they had this rocket ship engine was that they were still giving away some downforce to mercedes and red bull so you went sort of 1980s turbo approach which is if you've got a rocket fueled 1500 brake horsepower engine you can put a barn door rear wing on the back loads of downfalls and you'll still be cooking a straight line because you've got all this power so that was their kind of philosophy coming into 2020 we still have we'll still be as quick as Merck in straight line but now we can match them in the corners oh but actually we're not allowed to produce that power anymore so they ended up with the worst of both worlds and um, but fair play to them they've obviously managed to turn it around enough to make the car more aerodynamically efficient and the engine a little bit more powerful 
um, than it was last year. So they've you know, they've got themselves back into sort of the front and the midfield um, really quite quickly, actually. Indeed. I mean, it's a good point about the engine. They have reworked things in terms of the internal combustion engine and also a bit about how the, the electrical systems and various bits, obviously, in these very complex uh, V6 hybrid units work. They've all been tweaked, but there's still sort of the general consensus is that the estimations are that it's about 20 brake horsepower down on the best engines produced by Mercedes and, of course, Honda. But Jake, we had a we had a chat as um, as we did as we because we're good colleagues and good friends. I, well, I hope so. Um, uh, before Speak we for put yourself. This, before we put this package, I'm an excellent friend. How dare you? And um, before we before we put this um, before we put this package together, just about you know talking about the, essentially how the car is performing, how it looks, what what its relative strengths are compared to how bad things were last last year. And basically, we sort of agreed that as you as you say, it, it does look much more like the 2019 car. Or, or as in where that was good, albeit without the massive power punch, if, if you see what I mean, in terms of it is very strong on the street tracks. Charles Leclerc, I think he references it in uh, in the piece when when he was speaking in, in Baku. And the, the, the team it actually surprised the team how good the car was in, in Monaco. And we'll probably come along to, to talk about why it's so good in the slow speed corners in a little while. But I just wanted to I just wanted to sort of almost on a, on a down and note for Ferrari what makes it what what it's sort of gone back to because you know it was relatively strong for its for its poor package at places like silverstone last year because it had all these amazingly complicated and downforce producing extra bits on it it was quite good there actually in the corners in isolation but with that rain back now we're going to places like paul ricard this weekend red bull ring but particularly silverstone after that actually Ferrari probably gonna probably gonna struggle a bit more even sort of compared to where it was last year in those very specific elements but because it's made a step forward it still should do better I appreciate that's a sort of a weird way of putting it it's still they're still going to be there or thereabouts but I think the places where they were less bad last year were the tracks like Silverstone and things like that where the corners are relatively high energy and because they had all of that almost a surplus of downforce they were able to do quite well and Charles Leclerc did very very uh, well in in one of the races there but obviously I don't think they're going to be well I don't know they'll probably be on about an even keel this year because obviously they've sort of turned that side of things down but they've got a much more drivable car so it'll sort of be sort of there or thereabouts but it won't be relative to their slow speed performance quite strong I wouldn't have thought um, but you know we'll, we'll see when we come to that but obviously in my mind what the car is now is what it should have been last year in 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 all honesty I think they've got quite a big window to fall into haven't we I mean I've been looking at the, the super times which I appreciate are essentially tied to qualifying so they don't always give you a fair representation of race pace because of you know tie wear you know, sometimes cars are better in qualifying, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. But this year so far, they've been only 0.368% off the front, which last year they were 1.202%. So they're they're 0.9% better already. So yes, I think that Monaco and Baku have flattered them and they will fall further away. But if they end the the season, you know, 0.7.8% off the fastest, they're still made, you know, a significant gain over the course of the year. Just to put that in context, you know, in 2019, they were 0.149% off. In 2018, they were 0.118% off. So normally, if you're within 0.1 to 0.2, you can fight for the championship. The reason they didn't win it in 2018 is because they had Sebastian Vettel in the car instead of Lewis Hamilton. And in 2019, they were really good in some places, and then they just couldn't get the consistency, which is obviously what they were looking for in 2020. 
before the curveball of the engine, uh, the engine, the engine rule clarification, uh, as we'll call it, uh, came into play. So they're they're perhaps st- I think they're still a f- two to three percent away from where they need to be to get into the fight. And I just think that'll be a bit bigger by the time we get to the end of the year. But I mean, even so, that's a big, yeah, that's a big step forwards. You know, we've talked before about the the steps that Williams and McLaren have made, and they were sort of coming Williams in particular coming from further back. So to have found nearly a percent in six months is, um, you know, is, is a really good effort, especially, of course, during a time when the rule changes and the rules have not allowed as much development and testing uh, as the teams would normally get. Yeah, that's that's a really good point and one we're going to come back to later on. But um, Kev, just before I throw my next question at you, I'm going to note there that you, you displayed some excellent diplomacy there that JNBL would have been proud of. But also I noted that you fully agree with Fernando Alonso, who is very much the opinion that the street tracks have really flattered Ferrari, perhaps uh, lobbing a, a, a press hand grenade at his former team as he's wont to do. <laughs> uh, is it, actually, go back to something you said earlier, it is a real shame Leclerc didn't get to start from pole position because... I think we we like to see we like to see variety at the front, don't we? we like to see different winners, and I think it's it's probably fair to say that unless there's a really freakish race, you know, rain in you know rain on off, wet slicks, all that sort of thing, that's probably Ferrari's best chance to win a race. And given what happened in the race, that science wasn't a million miles away for Max Verstappen, could Leclerc have sat there and 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 just held Verstappen off for the whole race? Quite possibly. Uh, and then you'd have had a Ferrari win kind of against all the odds, really. So that was a bit of a shame. Whereas at Baku, of course, it was pretty easy for for Lewis Hamilton and then the Red Bulls to breeze past Leclerc. It wasn't really too difficult. It was aided by the uh, the tree branch fall, falling down. Although I think he I think he was a little bit too sporting in terms of uh, giving the giving the, or letting not uh, Lewis Hamilton close back in, and it came to the overtake. That is my one criticism of Leclerc is that I think he is just borderline too. And I'm very much down to the sporting, you know, you shouldn't win at all costs mentality. I think Hamilton actually treads that line really nicely. And I think Verstappen maybe is beginning to learn to. I don't think he had it to start with. But I think Leclerc's almost a bit too nice. Like not not gunning it at the restart at Imola also was like, come on, get on with it. Like Lando was like, no, go past him, argue it later. That's your one chance to get past the Red Bull. So, yeah, he perhaps needs to just get, you know, f- f- 5 to 10% more grrr with his driving. Uh, I'll put I'll put that to him, that exact quote. I'll say, yeah, OK. Um, um, JB, just actually, um, just before we come back to the next question I've got for Kev, um, what Kev just said made me think of something that Mattia Bonotto has said, and it's referenced in, in my bit of the, the package that we've got this week. Basically saying that, you know, yeah, we've made progress. There are two teams clearly a step ahead, obviously Mercedes and Red Bull. But he sort of says, but everything else, we've been pretty good. You know, the engineering's been good, the pit stops, it's all been quite strong. However, I would counter that, and I want, I want to know what you think about this, with what happened in Monaco and the fact that... It, the damage that the car had sustained in Leclerc's Q3 crash wasn't picked up. I mean, I know Ferrari have sort of come out and said, well, we thought it was going to be okay. Everything, our procedures were fine, but clearly they weren't, surely. Like, like just as a, as a sort of more of a, you know, to an outsider, it's, it's, it's pretty shocking that he can have such a massive accident and they go for all the checks on the gearbox and that, that not picked up. I mean, what, what was your opinion on that? Yeah. Contrast directly with what Mattia Bonotto said at the start, which was we're not going to take any risks. To me, as someone who is incredibly risk adverse, that means change it. Uh, that's exactly what I would have done. If you changed that, obviously you would have taken those drive shafts out and you would have seen this doesn't look particularly right. Obviously, if it was like a sort of stress fracture or something like that, and it was very, very difficult to pick up. Okay, fine. There's a little bit of latitude there. 
But if you can replace a like for like component and say, look, there was obviously a shock via the differential. We're not entirely sure about the structural uh, integrity of these drive shafts. And the FIA would have gone, yeah, sure, you can change it because they allow like for like replacements if, you know, there is a safety concern over those parts. And so, yep, that would have given Leclerc a penalty. And he likely wouldn't have won the race anyway, unless Ferrari had something absolutely spectacular up their sleeve. But there would be points on the board. Um, uh, but they took the risk, uh, and he he got nothing for it. He had to sit there for the entire race and watch the race unfold. I'm going to be slightly devil's advocate and say it, but anywhere else, I'd agree with you. But Monaco. It's the one chance to win. You know you can sit. Someone like the clerk is probably good enough to sit the car on the apex for 78 laps and let Verstappen make his own arrangements. I think you 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 take the. If you're in a championship fight, definitely you would. You, you know you would probably yeah be slightly more holistic with your view. But you think this is the one chance of the year. It looks all right. I think I'd be tempted to have taken the gamble as well and remember also i mean sometimes these faults i mean i one of my um other slightly strange hobbies is i'm kind of sometimes uh, interested in uh air accident investigation and sometimes the faults that have caused the caused the failures are absolutely microscopic and almost impossible to to pick up or at least they used to be now obviously they develop methods to to stop that happening that was one where i was uh, you know i was prepared to give ferrari a little bit of a little bit of slack on that one, but maybe I'm being generous. Kev, feel free to never tell me about any of those microscopic faults in air accident investigations before I head to my next Grand Prix trip, please. So your <laughs> predecessor found it fascinating, which I always thought was quite odd, given that he was jumping on a plane every couple of weeks. I, that does, I can't say that surprises me, to be honest. After Anyway, um, Kev, coming back to you, um, I actually want to take you back right to the beginning of the season. So I do have a bit of habit of doing this in sort of podcast host interview styles. I interviewed Daniel Ricciardo last year. Where I jumped in back and forth in time in terms of talking about Red Bull and Renault and various other things and then looking forward to his uh, joining McLaren. But anyway, back to the beginning of the season and, you know, the, the quote that I opened the piece with, which is basically Charles Leclerc's radio message to Ferrari after he's qualified a very impressive uh, fourth place. And he says, you know, Actually, it goes back to the super times things. Ferrari actually went slower than it did in 2020 qualifying on the same Bahrain layout for the Bahrain Grand Prix, not the Sakir Grand Prix. But everybody else went much, much, much slower. Ferrari was only, I think, 0.5% slower and Mercedes and Aston Martin were were 2% slower, 2.1% slower for Aston Martin. So how encouraging was that start? And does that sort of chime with what Bonotto has been saying consistently that it just demonstrated that progress and that's what 2021 is all about for Ferrari? Bahrain is a bit funny in the yeah it's not a typical track and obviously they've been testing there so uh, you know we, we I, I'm sure you you've said and wrote after Bahrain that um, you can make uh, concrete conclusions off the back of one weekend but actually now with hindsight we can look at how they got how they've gone subsequent five races and you think actually yeah it was a pretty fair barometer of where they were and you know clearly the rule changes have inadvertently or otherwise acted as a kind of you know alan gow from british touring cars would have been absolutely ecstatic with the way that the hole in the floor regulations have gone it's 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 really hurt the first and third fastest teams from last year it's helped one of the big giants move a bit close to the front you know ferrari have lost the least amount of performance uh, and red bull have lost somewhere in between but just enough to put them basically on a par or slightly ahead of mercedes so it's genius, you know. If you're an engineer that had come up with that, you'd be very pleased. But um, yeah, so I think you know for, he's right. Ferrari have been pretty much there or thereabouts, 
at most of the circuits, but obviously Monaco and Baki were particularly good. Obviously helped by the fact that you know, Verstappen didn't get it nailed in, in his first Q3 run either venue. One of the two Mercedes was all at sea on both occasions. Um, yeah, and obviously at Monaco, Leclerc crashed to stop anyone improving behind. So, yeah, circumstances in the tracks definitely play play their part. But, yeah, they're clearly they're genuinely much more in the ball. But, you know, it doesn't matter how many red flags you'd had in 2020, you'd have never had a Ferrari on pole. Just to be clear, there's no evidence of any wrong or any suggestion of wrongdoing on Leclerc's part, apart from the fact that he, oh, cra- no, he crashed his car. I, I'm <laughs> definitely not into the conspiracy theory. That's not how you. Um, that is not you know. That's not how you do it. Nick Nico Rosberg has already showed how you uh, how you secure pole position at Monaco. It doesn't involve ripping a corner off your car. Exactly, and that wasn't controversial at all, particularly for Lewis Hamilton. Um, but Jake, um, just coming back to what Kev talks about with the, with the change to the rear floor rules, one thing I thought it might be nice for you to explain to the listeners, and obviously you explain it in your, your piece to the readers, but why do you sort of suggest that Ferrari's early attempts at following the new floor rules were sort of more in keeping with the spirit intended by those changes? And how is that different to what Ferrari and the other teams are now actually using? Okay, so I'll take you back to last year. Um, you had a few teams in practice that, that were trialing 2021 floor solutions and they were all of the same sort of similar design that Ferrari began the season with. So obviously there was that cut out to the corner in the floor. Uh, so it was like uh, there is a line just behind the driver's head that goes, I don't know if you're looking at the car sort of front wing here, rear wing here. This isn't working in an or off that um but yeah, this is a um, video presentation now. <laughs> <laughs> if this was a video it would be so uh so easy but you know if you have the the you imagine the front wing to the right and the rear wing to the left if you're looking at it top down there is a vertical line uh, behind the driver's head that's where the floor begins to be cut off and then it's cut off uh somewhere ahead of the rear tire and so all of the floors fit within that perfectly um Basically, it was literally cutting a triangle off the floor. That's what it looked like. But then we come to testing. Mercedes have kept their floor relatively hidden. Red Bull kept their floor hidden. Uh, Aston Martin did to a degree as well. And uh, you ha- they had less floor than everybody else in that they'd cut a sort of square corner off and then kind of followed the line. Uh, well, just behind the line um, to create that effect. And... A lot of teams looked at that over testing and gone, okay, that looks like a really good idea. We'll, what we'll do is we'll mock up a, a, a cab model back in the factory, put it through CFD, we'll maybe make a wind tunnel model out of it and we'll see what it does. Clearly, it's the best option because nine out of the 10 teams now have that uh, sort of Z-shaped floor as it's now being called everyone apart from Haas. Uh, surprise, surprise. But Ferrari was one of the... I, I, it would have called it first. A, a, Z, a Z-shaped floor because it's an American a Z floor. Thing. Anyway, sorry. That, that's, yeah, a Z that's, floor. We don't it, want so. a Z floor. Ignore me. Um, and uh, also managed to get an accent on a podcast, which never happens. Uh, <laughs> Ferrari first tried it in uh, practice at Imola. They only had one, so both drivers didn't get to run it until Portimao. Um, but obviously, the sort of general principle behind it i i i seem to you know what i believe uh is the case is that the old floor wasn't you didn't have a sharp corner and therefore you weren't going to get airflow spilling off of it so much you weren't going to get that vortex creation being created um and you weren't going to be able to seal the floor quite as much and so 
that seems to be the general idea behind it. Um, doing that just simply ensures that your diffuser is working properly, your floors working properly, and you're not getting horrible, horrible, dirty air from everything that's you know, surrounding you. And so you have downforce, which is uh, what you want in Formula One, isn't it? Nine out of ten teams now have that, uh, and the the one at the back doesn't. So read into what that what you will. I give that very precise explanation, Jake. Um, just just coming back to you, hopefully for another precise explanation. Well, actually, it's more it's more sort of a, I, want, I wonder if you agree with with what I'm going to say here. Is basically um, it's almost like a case in point of how Ferrari is improving compared to where it was last year. Basically, I think in Bahrain it struggled with with rear tire wear. You know, it's, it's, it's a very abrasive surface. That is the general that is the trick at Bahrain. If you can if you can nail that you'll be all right sort of thing, which is why it's particularly impressive to see how much Mercedes has recovered and now seems to be better than Red Bull when it comes to wearing out its rear tyres based on what we saw in Spain, which will be an interesting thing, listeners, for you to follow this weekend in Paul Ricard. Um, but anyway, that, that, that was sort of a Bahrain-specific issue. Imola obviously was a wet race or wet-to-dry race, so things were very, very different. We'll come on and talk about Leclerc's performance uh, in that race shortly. But when it came to Portimao, Ferrari's tyre management was was almost abysmal, I think I think it would be fair to say, particularly with Carlos Sainz Jr. who tumbled out of the points. Leclerc sort of seemed to manage it a little bit better. He's, that is something that he really worked on over the course of uh, last year in particular. Um but Ferrari went away and just spent a lot of time working on that, understanding what went wrong and obviously trying to implement a fix in the way it did things. And I think that worked pretty well in Spain. That was the first uh, race, I'm pretty sure. It beat uh, McLaren in terms of in the on uh, in the race results um, or, you know, beat, you know, Leclerc beat um, Ricardo home. So would you would you agree with that, that Ferrari have, have sort of done a, a good job at fixing or certainly working to address a weakness uh, in the package based on the early results? so i know that it was still uh, a little bit of a worry for them when it came to baku um because obviously but get that again then again street circuits are so different it's something that the team's worked on uh, as you say portsmouth was not particularly good um and it's sort of just sort of byproduct of how you're uh address using the downforce in your car how you're how much you're you're applying how your suspension setup is, is working as well and how much heat you're putting through the tires um it's kind of a function of that and obviously we know that the ferrari overcurbs is very very compliant but does softening the suspension wear out the tire a little bit more potentially um i, I probably if my old vehicle dynamics lecturer is listening to me he's probably you know angry that i can't remember off the top of my head but um that's what it seems to be a function of and ferrari has been addressing those issues um over the over the season Obviously, these new tyres have caused some degree of new learning opportunities, to put it diplomatically, for a lot of teams. Um, they've got to get on top with, you know, a different sort of profile of tyre warming, uh, no uh, steering wheel-based warm-up options for one of the teams. Um, so I think it's been a challenge for everybody just to work out what these new tyres are capable of. Obviously, Ferrari has sort of got its models correct and has been able to work on you know, applying the downforce where it's needed just to ensure that the tyres don't overheat or overwear or anything like that. He he means DAS and Mercedes, just in case anyone was uh, confused by the epic diplomacy going on there. Um, anyway, guys, I just want to take a moment to thank our current sponsor of the Autosport podcast, because frankly, we can't make this show without them. Curve isn't just another bank account. It's somewhere for all of your existing accounts and cards to sit together in one place, helping you to get organised with money. It's one app, one card and one pin. 
Now, as you guys know, I'm trying somewhat painfully unsuccessfully to buy a flat right now. And in fact, Kev, uh, you and I are in the same boat, although neither of us are buying boats, as producer Martin's notes suggest, and you are rather less painfully in the process of buying a house. Anyway, I do apologise. I've had to spend ages pulling together plenty of finance info to get that process started, and Curve uh, would have made that super easy. It connects all your usual bank accounts and centralises where you can track what account you use for what spending. The cashback feature is brilliant because you can buy things uh, you normally would, but you're being rewarded for doing that. Plus, now I'm back traveling and going to races regularly after the annoying disruption caused by, of course, the ongoing uh, cursed COVID-19 pandemic. Uh, this is a really useful feature because you can get cash back from hotels to Ubers and they even have a special foreign exchange rate. And frankly, that's that's pretty great. Um, so, Kev, all my expenses that I have to give you from flights, airports, motorway service stations, plus those slap up meals I'm allowed to buy uh, on the Autosport account. Oh, that's not quite how it works. But anyway, everything basically is tracked in Curve. Uh, so with the receipts, that makes it really, really easy. If only that could fix our system so that it automatically tells you when I filed yet another outrageous expenses claim uh, and not have me have to notify you manually, as it were. The appealing part for me is, is the life admin part, which obviously is, as you say, quite difficult when it comes to trying to buy a house. Basic Curve Card is totally free and because they're our sponsor, we have a special gift uh, for you as a listener of the Autosport podcast. Simply make your first purchase, which can be as small as 1p, and you get £5. Just go to curve.com slash auto and you'll be able to claim that and also help this show. Again, the website address is curve.com slash auto. So, returning to Ferrari, I think we should talk about the drivers. That's, that's what lots of people are very much interested in. Sorry, JBL, when it comes to all the amazing tech stuff. But, you know, everybody, plenty of people out there love uh, love that as well. Um, anyway, so I'm, I'm rambling on, basically, because I enjoy talking about the drivers, because that's, that's basically my job, isn't it? Rating them uh, every weekend. So, let's start with Charles Leclerc. And I'm going to get emails because I picked him ahead of Carlos Sainz Jr., because I always do, because people are strange. But, um, Kev, how impressed have you been with Charles Leclerc so far in 2021? Yeah, I know that you've attracted a little bit of stick here and there, um, but I think it's pretty obvious that he's been one of the top, you know, three or four performers of the year. Um, you know, he's had fewer, and you know, he is Ferrari's number one at the moment. I'm sure, you know, science has done actually a pretty good job. If you look at how some of the other new arrivals at teams have struggled, you know, I'm still waiting for sort of the Daniel Ricciardo moment because I'm a big fan of his and I'm sure he'll get on top of the McLaren but you know science has been actually it hasn't taken him too long to get on top of the car and learn the systems and there have been a few weekends where he's he's actually looked pretty pretty quick in free practice or even early on in qualifying Leclerc does obviously have that that ability to put a little bit like Lewis Hamilton you can be on the back foot in a weekend and then when it matters in Q3 suddenly a lap appears and you think well where the hell did that come from which as a teammate must be really irritating um, but yeah, Leclerc hasn't done an awful lot wrong this year, with the obvious Monaco shunt aside. So pretty much all the drivers, you know, Hamilton's made mistakes, um, Verstappen's made mistakes and given points away. Um, I'm trying to think of any that Lando Norris has given away. Oh, I suppose track limits. Uh, he's got himself into a little bit of trouble there. But So I don't think anyone's had a perfect season, which might say something about how difficult these cars are, these sort of hybrid cars. And I don't mean the engine, I mean they were built to one set of regs and they've now had to sort of be built to another lot i suspect they're quite tricky to drive but no leclerc's absolutely top draw one of the, one of the three or four best drivers on the grid and science is a is a candidate for joining them if you can get it all together so i, I think for i've got pretty much you know if it's the if it's not the best lineup it's pretty close to it quickly uh, a sign that Orlando norris he's, he's he seems to be running a foul more of sort of minor penalties 
uh, you know, things like that cost him grid spots rather than any particularly big uh, in-race error. Jake, let's stay on Charles Leclerc, and I want to go back to the Emilia-Romagna Grand Prix. Now, I'm afraid I absolutely can't remember this, but I'm going to assume you were in control of this because you usually are. Were you running the autosport.com live blog for that race? Uh, there is a very good possibility that I was. I believe I was because uh, I'm. Well, I mean, we're, 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 so, we're also incredibly busy that we can't remember what we've yes. done the previous weekend. This I believe so I, much for our memories, does it? It's well, terrible. I, I, I believe I went to Baku. I think I made a magazine ago. this week. <laughs> Oh, there's definitely a magazine this week. There definitely well, after, is. You know, after 23 races, they all sort of blend into one another, don't they? They certainly do. They certainly do. But that one in particular, I think, stands out for Leclerc. I mean, like you, he's been amazing in qualifying, as, as, as Kev has said, and obviously, you know, get that, got those headline results in terms of um, pole position in Monaco and Baku. But that race, I, he was just so impressive in the early stages. And I wondered what you, you really thought of, of, of how things turned out for him, because it was a wet start. Obviously, we know, you know it's the famous cliche great equalizer you know really shows up it gives the the greatest chance to really make the difference and i genuinely think he put in a, a fantastic performance there and i i rate that's why i rated him so particularly highly it's just that the the end result has disappeared because of the red flag like there was a, there were as a clear winner from that red flag and a clear loser the clear winner was lewis hamilton getting his lap back having been sat in the gravel for over a minute and the clear loser was Charles Leclerc because he'd done enough to escape Sergio Perez in the in the Red Bull that you know the, the package that ultimately won the race. He was he was pretty pretty poor, frankly, in the early stages, and then obviously went off um, later on. Uh, and obviously Lando Norris got had charged through the field and got the chance to use that Mercedes engine in the back of the McLaren now to overcome Leclerc when they were all back together again at the uh, the restart. But um, yeah, what, what did you make of uh, of that performance and, and how big a, another, it was, it's was? it got to go down surely as another sort of missed opportunity. Uh, I think so. I don't think that on pace and if it was a dry race, you know, he would have had that opportunity and it was because he was very, very good in that opening part of the race that he was able to capitalize and able to finish very high up as well you know he's probably the biggest the most high profile driver to have not gone on the podium yet this year which is a very very strange statistic given that he's got pole twice but i don't know if you remember towards the end of that race even though that mclaren had kind of sauntered off um when it had come to dry weather and norris was preserving that third place the the Ferraris were not very far behind at all. They were sort of almost coming back at him, even though, you know, Norris has got past them. Uh, he held them off a little bit and then he sort of got away. But then there was a point towards the very end, but obviously there wasn't enough time where Leclerc was slightly coming back at him, give him a few more laps and it might well have been another battle. But in that race, he was very, 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 very good. And just, it's so easy to put a foot wrong when you have those mixed changeable conditions. And the only thing he did wrong was not being maybe aggressive enough, uh, which I'm sure that you two will probably uh, get onto. We well, we disagree on it because Kev's already made clear what he thinks uh, Leclerc should have done at that restart. Basically, when you, of course, it was when Max Verstappen um, <laughs> amazingly sent it across the curbs, nearly lost the rear of the car and spun away his, uh, his hard-won race lead at the first corner. Um, 
he was off track for a split second. You actually have to pause the video to see that he was indeed all four wheels off at one point. But look, I mean, watching from Leclerc's on board, there's no way he could have known. But Kev, I know you agree with Lando Norris that Leclerc should have just gunned it and said, well, I think he was off the track. Prove, prove that you, I'm you right, get, right. Exactly. You get on with it and you argue it later. And if you have to hand the position back or whatever and you get the penalty, then you get the penalty. You kind of got to take a chance every now and again, haven't you? But I think one, one point is worth making is that last year, if, if, if Leclerc had a weakness last year, it was getting overzealous early on in races and making a few mistakes you know clattering into people and and almost overreaching in a car that wasn't capable of it and this year we've seen aggressive first laps I still think that when we get to the end of the year his move on Bottas around turn three in Spain will be one of the passing news we remember you know that wasn't just like oh he's off the line and he's come barging down the inside Max Verstappen on Lewis Hamilton thank you very much he's actually gone around the outside of a faster car on a, a, a high-speed corner. I thought that looks awesome. Um, and he hasn't been getting in. You know, so he's still been making progress, but he hasn't been losing a front wing or knocking into anyone or losing a wheel. You know, he's, he's kind of got that... He seems to be in that happy zone now of being aggressive without taking too many risks. Um, so, you know, he's still improving. That's the, kind of, that's the kind of scary thing, really. And the thing that they have to do now, when you've got Lewis Hamilton with seven world championships who is still trying to look for improvements all the time. You know, the generation coming up behind, uh, you know, they're kind of doing the same thing, really. It is interesting with Leclerc because he said ahead of the Bahrain race that, you know, he was going to pick his battles sort of more wisely. And I sort of took that to mean, oh, maybe I won't bother overtaking a Mercedes that I know is just going to get me back. But of course, that's just not how these guys are wired. And he, he immediately did it in Bahrain. It was again, it was on Bottas um, on the first lap, got ahead just for the safety car. Uh, it was called for Mazapan's crash. But um, yeah, and then of course, doing it again in, in, in Barcelona, you know, I think the difference was that these aren't sort of desperate lunges that he was making at the start of, uh, or on several occasions uh, last year. I think it was the Styria race, obviously the the Sakir Grand Prix, and um, when he tapped around Lance Stroll in Russia. I feel a little bit sorry for Bottas because if you are Verstappen, Leclerc, Norris, and you see it's Bottas ahead of you, or even George Russell, Imola, of course then you just think, I'm, ju- I'm just going to stick it in there because he's he's obviously not got as much, you know, he's not got much confidence at the moment. I think wheel-to-wheel racecraft has never been his greatest strength. And, you know, he's on a bit of a down at the moment for whatever reason. And uh, and they can put one over him and they know that he's vulnerable. So, yeah, I mean, would Leclerc have tried that? on? Actually, he probably, he could well have tried it on Hamilton, but Hamilton wouldn't have let him go around the outside. I think that's the kind of point, really. Um, so I feel like if you're if you're in that kind of not quite in a Mercedes position, then you see Bottas. He's kind of a scalp to go for, isn't he? In those first that first lap or two. Indeed. Well, one last thing uh, on Leclerc, and I'm going to come back to you, Kev. Um, just, just chatting to, to someone uh, in the paddock at the last couple of races. He's, he's interested. They made a point about sort of Leclerc's mentality. You know, he's been sort of praised, and he's he's he's, he's very revealing and very open about when he gets things wrong. You know, you think of that Baku crash when he was, you know, 2019 smashed in the barriers in Q2, and um, you know, I am stupid, I am stupid, or Turkey. You know, when he messed up the, the last couple of corners, lost himself a podium, and he was like, no, I did a oh, I did a bleep race, and was very very furious at him over the radio those aren't the sort of th- you can't I could never imagine Max Verstappen ever doing something like that like you ask Max a question about something he's done wrong and you occasionally as is his want of course you get a sort of sense of I did nothing wrong and I'm never going to admit to you that I ever did anything wrong because that's just his that's just his mentality that's something that clearly 
he feels he needs to do. But do you think that that is something that Leclerc might need to adopt more if he is going to make that last step? Again, just thinking back to sort of the branch dropping down at the, at the early on in Baku, he was like, well, I, I went around and cut the chicane, so I felt I had to let Lewis close back up. And then Lewis, of course, closed back up and goes straight past him. Whereas, you know, really, he was avoiding an, a, an issue on the track. He shouldn't, it wasn't, wasn't gaining an advantage. He was simply getting out of the way of something. So I think maybe he could have been a bit more ruthless there. So I just wondered if that's a sort of a feature you think the player needs to show more of generally. Well, I think there are two things there. I think what, one is that being honest with yourself when you make a mistake or you do something that isn't quite right. And, you know, you're right. Verstappen never, you know, he would still maintain today that he didn't change his attitude after making a complete you know, dog's dinner of the early part of 2018. But quite obviously he did, and he's a better driver for it. So he does have that capacity to learn from his own mistakes, but he just won't admit it. You know, that's the way he's wired. Perhaps he thinks he's going to give away, you know, some kind of magical advantage to somebody else by being honest about it. So he keeps it to him. Yeah, because if he didn't learn from his mistakes, then he wouldn't be as good as he is. That's true of any driver, any sports person. They have to be honest with themselves, even if they're lying to everyone else. It doesn't really matter what they tell us, as long as they're not lying to themselves. Um, And I think that people like Lando Norris and George Russell are actually quite open about making mistakes. And, yep, I'm going to learn from this. So, yeah, that's the way they're wide. And I think Leclerc's more like that. I don't think it really matters whether you say you're learning from your mistakes or not, so long as you are. So I wouldn't say that Leclerc needs to change that. I think that the making the decisions on track is slightly different and that, yes, I think he probably needs to be a little bit more, maybe a little bit more ruthless. Um, you know, he said he learnt from you know, Austria a couple of years ago when Verstappen you know, did a move on him, which I did think was was hard but fair. And Leclerc was like, right, well, I'm going to learn from that and I'm not going to let that happen again. And Silverstone, he, he gave it back with, you know, gave it back to Max. I think that's absolutely fine. Um, yeah, the Imola thing was a marginal cause. We, t- we disagree on that as to whether he should have gone for it or not. Uh, and the Baku thing... Yeah, you probably he probably needs to get to the point where he's gonna chance he's gonna chance it a few times, and then if he gets a penalty, um, he gets a penalty, and if he gets away with it, he gets away with it. So he probably needs to be maybe a, a smidgen more ruthless. But overall, I think he's yeah he's he's the full package. It's all just fine tuning really now. Just just very briefly to give my side of the argument about him, and I think I mean, he's had a split second decision to make it because Max rescues it really, really fast when he's over the curbs. And also, I'm pretty sure there has been suggestions now that he didn't his team radio wasn't working once he left uh, the pits after the red flag. So he, I think, wasn't sure whether it was going to be a standing start or a, a safety car sort of uh, flying restart as, as it was. I was going to say, it may also be a function of the way that modern, modern F1 is in that everything is a communication and conversation with the we are with your pit crew isn't it like am I coming in now am I not how are we extending the stint what settings all this kind of stuff I know they've obviously tightened it up a little bit over recent years but they the drivers are just used to having a constant conversation and discussion about decision making and it may especially at things like restarts um and sometimes you hear you'll hear someone like Lewis Hamilton go right no talking now I'm into instinct racecraft mode and maybe a safety car restart was kind of a sort of bixed in between really whereas obviously back in the 80s 70s or earlier it was like you just just make it up as you go along get on with it so it may be that if we're being generous it may be that the clerk's kind of a slightly slightly guilty of of of, of or, or, or a victim of that but there's no way that if it was the other way around Verstappen would have gone no 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 Charles please get back on the track and continue leading the race 
That would be very interesting uh, to see, but obviously uh, we have to wonder if that will happen at an upcoming race. And um, Jake, coming back to you, let's talk about Carlos Sainz Jr. Obviously, you know, made a made a, a real headline, you know, big off-season story. This was him leaving McLaren, going to Ferrari, you know, fulfilling that sort of, that cliche, every racing driver's dream to drive an F1 for the Scuderia. But he actually sort of, he, 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 was, he was stepping into a difficult task because it's not like Daniel Ricciardo arriving at McLaren as a proven race winner, or for example, you know, Sebastian Vettel, you could see why Aston Martin would want to hire him as a four-time world champion. Science is, is still sort of regarded as up and coming, even though he's been around Formula One now for a very, very, very long time, of course, you know, coming in alongside Verstappen in uh, in 2015. So how do you think he's got on so far? His was the move that kind of set everything off, really. Um, Ferrari dropping Vettel for, for Science, And it shows this change in attitude from ferrari uh you know remember in 2018 when you had vettel and raikkonen two comparatively old two comparatively old plodders compared to leclerc and science who you know obviously were who definitely are spring chickens um but it shows this shift it shows this move towards youth that this show this move towards yeah experience is great but at the same time, we want drivers that are young and hungry are going to go after the championship and going to go get it because 2018 was a fantastic chance to go and win a title and Raikkonen was kind of not really anywhere and Vessel stuffed it in the wall and ruined his hopes, really. If, you know, with this situation you have now, when science is on Leclerc's... Uh, performance level which i'm sure he will be because he's had a very very impressive start to the season he's got used to that ferrari it seems to be quite driver friendly in that regard sure he's had to get used to it and in the past drivers moving to ferrari had a bit of a tough time for a couple of years you know Raikkonen in 2014 uh that year in 2009 where uh massa was out and they had to bring other drivers in and they couldn't get on top of it this year's ferrari seems to be very driver friendly and science has been able to sort of understand it and he's not quite on Leclerc's level yet but there is a situation where if Ferrari is now in or ends up in the future in a championship battle and Leclerc stuffs it in the wall Ferrari has somebody in science who can get either get Leclerc back up kick him up the bum and uh, get him back moving again or can take the reins for himself and take on the challenge Um, that's what they've got in these two drivers and I think Sure, Leclerc is the number one, as you've said, and science does need to get on that level and just have time with that car uh, to fully sort of have this symbiotic relationship with it. But I think it will be won't be too long until they're on that level together, and Ferrari then has the best lineup on the grid, where both drivers are, you know, potential champions, really. I think that's I think that's fair enough. Um, it's really interesting about science. Just like I spoke to him in Baku after qualifying, when of course you know he was in, ended up in the wall because he sort of went off in sympathy with Sonoda because he was just unfortunate that for the second Q3 in a row he was the first car on the scene after there had been a crash that ultimately led to the red flag. Of course, it was his teammate in Monaco, and um, it was easier to get out of the way there. But he basically just said, you know, he saw the lock up. He knew that there was an incident ahead and as soon as he saw Sonoda in the barrier, he just had to get on the brakes that bit harder and that brought the car around. That's why he ended up in the wall. Um, but he's, he's absolutely livid about that whole situation because I think he, you know, I make the point in the, in the feature that if it wasn't for Leclerc being unsettled in Portugal by the, the winds and the gusts, he could be looking at a 6-0 qualifying deficit, which A, shows how amazing he's been. But also I think that 
slightly ever so slightly skews it because I, I think science has been very unlucky particularly in, in qualifying in those in those events in monaco and baku and you can tell that he's 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 furious about it he's got that fire he's got that desire he really wants to demonstrate his his absolute worth and that you know he's not just there to back up leclerc he's there to to win and be successful with ferrari as well which i think is really 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 strong and you know he's 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 demonstrated that pace i think he was very strong um behind uh, the red bull in monaco i think you know it was never going to be really har harrying it but you know he he excelled in you know when it came to you know that mechanical grip and that sort of needing to get the best out of the the ferrari package that day and he did excellently and mckev you sort of touched on this earlier do you think carlos science jr is pushing leclerc to greater heights because again i say this in the feature it's not quite a pattern yet but it's noticeable that science tends to lead the way in practice and early in qualifying and then leclerc just delivers it which can of course be demoralizing as you said earlier but yeah do you think do you think he's pushing on his teammate yeah i think he's he's well i mean i think leclerc's probably at the point now where he's just operating at such a high level that you know you 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 should have the lewis hamilton approach of you're always racing an imaginary car that's slightly faster than you so it doesn't matter who your teammate is but yeah i'm sure you know science is a, a, a different challenge to to vettel who obviously looked like a spent force last year i completely agree with with what jake was saying about it really shows ferrari's mentality you know they they were they were too conservative for too long with their driver lineup and now you know they've got a really good one i find science really interesting case because you know what you what you want to see when drivers are performing in the midfield is them to get a get a chance in the top team and then you find out are they a number one or are they a number two you know we know Bottas is a number two now we know Perez is a number two we know Max and Lewis are superstars we know Lewis uh, we know Leclerc is a superstar but i don't i, I don't know yet where i'd fall with science i have a feeling He's going to be what I would call a one and a half. And I don't mean that as a kind of sitting on the fence. I mean that in a Nico Rosberg way, in that he's very, very good. But to be a full-on number one, he'll need to be at the top of his game and have a little bit of luck in a given season. So if Ferrari are nailing it in 2023 and Leclerc has a couple of poor starts or a bit of unreliability, I think science would be good enough to nick a championship off him. But if you were to play out 10 titles between the two of them, it'd be 9-1. I think that's the same kind of thing as with the Hamilton Rosberg. I think that's probably where he'll slot in, but you know that's very much conjecture at this point. I think he's, I think he's very, very good, and I think Ferrari absolutely right with their driver lineup decision. I do, I do agree with that conjecture, though, Kevin. I think there's a sort of there's a there's a real world sort of example to back this up, and that's the 2020 Italian Grand Prix. Pierre Gasly wins the race famously for AlphaTauri, but who was the best driver in that race? By a country mile, it was Carlos Sainz Jr. Because if Lewis Hamilton doesn't mess up, you know, the closed pit lane and, and wins, Sainz was still going to be second on the road. And that would have been an incredible result. It's just frustrating for him that he he, he lost the win and that Gasly, OK, he performed brilliantly, but he did get boosted up fortuitously by uh, by the red flag and by the safety car. What I love particularly about that performance is the radio communication when they're going, you know, Kimmy ahead and he's like, giving the gap to Gasly. He's like, take your time. He's like, I, I haven't got time. I'm going for... You know, he had no other intention than Gasly's at the front. I'm going after him. He knew from the moment he was in that mid-pack trying to find his way through, that was his target. It wasn't your team, like, don't throw away points. It had, he, he had the mentality of a winner, which was, yeah, but where's the leader gone? There he is. I can get to him. And he, he got pretty close, you know, another lap or two. It could have been really interesting. So, no, I really like that. I think he's got the right mentality. I think he... You know, he seemed that the dynamic with Clerk seems to be really good. You know, the, the team in your piece have said they seem to be feeding off each other nicely. Whether that would, you know, if you suddenly put them in a championship winning car and science is used to the, 
used to the team and, and he's on a par, does that continue? That usually puts a pressure on a relationship. But at the moment, it's kind of, you know, it's all sweetness and light, isn't it? So, um, yeah, I, th- I think it'd be, be interesting to see how that develops over the rest of the year. Absolutely, absolutely. Well, let, let's move on to our sort of final couple of topics we're going to touch on in this podcast. Um, JBL, Ferrari versus McLaren. That is the sort of battle behind the top two because, of course, they're they're scrapping over P3. Um, you know, if, if it wasn't for Mercedes and Red Bull being around, this could almost be 2007, 2008 again. So how much are you enjoying that sort of renewed fight? It's just nice to have battling on the track. And although last year we had this massive midfield scrap where one of any five five or six teams could be head of that midfield pack it's a little bit more condensed this year but there are more you know stronger battles between the front two then this battle between uh mclaren and ferrari for for third and fourth and then other battles behind that there's always something going on Uh, the thing is it's so hard to call at the moment as well because mclaren are good on certain places ferrari's good at certain places i think the start standout driver out of all four of those drivers have been lando norris um the ferrari two have been probably a little bit more consistent but norris has just been sort of transcending that mclaren at the moment and so that's only being pegged back by ricardo not being quite able to just get on top of that car and he's still struggling with it a little bit but both the ferrari two leclerc's been in the ferrari for a, a long time he knows how the team works, how the car works, and has just been able to get good performance out of it. The only thing really missing from his game at the moment is maybe a podium or two, which probably should have happened by now. Um, and, and science has just been getting used to the car, but done, has done very, very well with it. So it's such a sort of tantalizing scrap. And I really hope that it goes all the way to the end of the season because it's just great to watch. And it would be even, you know, it would be even better if those two were fighting with Red Bull and Mercedes and we had a four way battle royale at the front. That would be quite something. Which is, of course, what everybody hopes well, I, I uh, 2022 a a... is going to be. But go on, Kev, sorry. Yeah, no, that's true. I mean, that's what we all want, isn't it, for the new rules? But, you know, we've I think we've discussed uh, off-air before, Alex, there. At some point this is, and it might be quite nice if, you know, Max and Lewis were to just trip over somewhere and delay themselves. You know, Perez has one of his sessions where he qualifies 15th. Bottas perhaps doesn't have a wheel come off, you know, come off properly in a pit stop something like that and you get a you get a little Norris battle for victory because either one of those would be yeah it'd be great to see them winning be brilliant for the cover of the magazine it'd be great for f1 um to have something like that so um yeah it would, it would be good to see but i no, i agree with jake it's really hard to call i mean at the moment ferrari are uh, less than 0.2 percent ahead of of mclaren on pure pace but that's taken into account obviously baku and monaco so you think Ferrari going to get sucked back towards McLaren at more conventional circuits? It could well be that the deciding factor is Ricardo. Can he get on top of this car? Um, now, you, I really hope he does because, as I say, I, I think he's a, a class act and really want to see him up there fighting, fighting uh, you know, towards the front of that midfield group. But he could be the deciding factor if, if science is already there or thereabouts. The clerk is probably going to get that last little bit. Yeah, Ricardo was lapped at Monaco. Um, by by Norris so it you know it, it's kind of the, the pressure will if it's close between the two of them the pressure will really ramp up on on him to to get his head around it of course the other facts that we haven't talked about yet which I'm sure is in your notes somewhere is how much the teams turn their attention to 2022 and this new the new rules that everyone's kind of getting excited about you know does 
how much does Ferrari and McLaren want to throw it this year to get that third in the Constructors' Championship? Does it mean more to McLaren than Ferrari? Probably does at this point. Um, but they won't want to sacrifice the opportunity to make that leap to the front. So it's a real balancing act for, for, for both of those teams this year. Well, okay, you, you know me so well. That is that is indeed the last topic we're gonna we're gonna chat through, mirroring the, the feature, because of course that is uh, that is that is how I end things in terms of my bit of the package. But um, Jake, just before we get there, I just uh, just wanted to go back to something Kev mentioned um, way back earlier in the podcast. How impressive is it that Ferrari has been able to do what it targeted? demonstrate it can make progress come back towards mercedes and red bull even though it's you know it's very far from them still how impressive is it that ferrari has done that in a year where development and redesign restrictions are so limited because of the you know the unique situation with the pandemic and the sort of carryover requirements yeah i think there's two ways you can look at it you can either say that ferrari has done a fantastic job with kind of identifying the remit of the 2021 rules working out what you're going to lose from the floor and addressing the parts of the car that that need it or alternatively you can say that ferrari had a car concept that was just happens to be beneficial for these rules um i don't think you can quite cut it like the latter but i think that there has been some sort of fortune with that regard. I think that the Ferrari, it's not as rakey as a Red Bull, but it's more rakey than a Mercedes. I think it just falls into that sort of bracket. And Nice technical terms it, there. I think it's sort of like that halfway house where I think that the overall damage is going to be sort of relatively mitigated. Um, for, from losing that downforce, you sort of have the best of both worlds, if you like. Um, so I think they've sort of been able to get something together that works with that package very, very well. I think they've been able to use their tokens to improve that area of the car as well, which has been sort of really crucial. So I think they've identified the problems really well with what the new rules are going to create. Yeah, I've I've been very, very impressed that they've been able to do that in such a short space of time and to not lose too much in relation to the other teams. It's been, you know, a very cohesive effort from Ferrari, which is not something technically that we say a lot. Kev, let's come on to the final topic and look ahead to 2022. As I said earlier, everybody hopes it's going to be a multi-team fight for every race win and ultimately the title. Although there are worryingly growing sort of calls and almost, you know, comments that that's probably not going to be the case. I think Fernando Alonso is like, no, one team's going to run away with it and then it will take, eventually everyone will catch up as just is, has cyclically been the case with these these regulation changes. You know, that is, other, you know, I've, I've, I was listening to a GP Racing podcast, Flat Chat with Stuart Codling. Check that out. Um, you know, the, the Mark Gallagher was saying, you know, I've been hearing that, yeah, one team probably is going to dominate. Don't know which one yet, but that's just the way things go. That You know, if you, if you want things to close up, you've got to leave the regulations stable. Um, but really for Ferrari coming back to them the real test is 2022 in terms of its recovery it says it's made its choice that it's fully focused on next year's car but also Mattia Bonotto was saying I think off the top of my head around Monaco time that it's still going to bring at least a few more updates to the current car so is there a danger that it could still be sort of thrown off course chasing a good 2021 result when really that matters less than a great 2022 result because after all 2007 and 2004 are a really long time ago now yeah, there is that danger, um, but I, I, yeah, you have to say that you know Red Bull, Mercedes, and Ferrari have got, despite all the restrictions and the cost cap and all that sort of stuff, they still have the resources in terms of brain power as much as anything else that they should they should be able to make the best you know fist of it if you like for the new rules. Um, you know, I think it could well be that we have a dominant car in twenty twenty two. I think that the key thing is that it's a different one. 
you know, we had a, a dominant car at the start of 2009, but nobody cared because it was a brawn and Jensen Button was winning, having been an absolute, you know, horrendous car the year before in a team that was looked like it was, you know, collapsing. So I think as long as you get a change, people don't mind a bit of domination as long as it then closes up after that. Um, so what we don't want is the you know, Mercedes Red Bull continuing the same the same thing into 2022. Although, frankly, the fight this year is good enough that I don't think I'd mind too much. But um, yeah, Ferrari, of all the teams that are looking to 2022 uh, to make that final leap to the front, Ferrari has got to be your favourite um, to actually do it because of their resources, because of their history. We've talked about their driver lineup. What we haven't talked about is their restructuring within the team. And okay, we don't know because we're not literally in the team, but you get the impression of that kind of old school, no, it wasn't my fault, it was his fault kind of backstabbing type environment doesn't seem to be there anymore. Bonotto doesn't come across like that. You feel like they're, you know, they're, the way they've targeted the tyre issue that we talked about, the way they targeted the problems they definitely had knew they had from last year, they seem to be a more cohesive unit and a and a modern F1 team now, which they haven't really looked like before. They've got, you know, young drivers, modern outlook, and they've got everything in place to to, to deliver, really. It's just that, you know, can they can they finally overturn the team that's been been better than them basically since it came back to F one in Mercedes? Mercedes has always been better than Ferrari when it's been in F one, really. Um, it would be nice if Ferrari could get back to being on on a par. If they could be where they were in 2018, I think Leclerc is good enough to take the fight to the end of the championship. I think it's just important to note on the 2022 rules as well is we're no other team is going to know explicitly what each other team is doing. And it's all going to come to pre-season testing where the covers are eventually wrapped off. We see who's good, who's not good, whether anybody's sandbagging, who's not. It's it's going to be so much fun at the start of next season. Um, obviously, I think we're going to hit a point where there will be a team dominating because there's always going to be a team that's done these new regulations better than the rest. But there's also going to be the opportunity for the other teams to look at their car and go, okay, how can we implement that on ours? And like 2009, it can change and turn on its head. Well, you're, you're, it's going to be very busy for you, uh, Jay, because you're <laughs> going to have to see what it, what is the, what is this, this year's version of the double diffuser or the F ducts or the, you know, the blown diffuser. Where, where's the trick that somebody has, uh, yeah, has, has, has found the loophole everyone else in the pit lane goes oh no and either goes right we need to do one or that's illegal we're going to argue about it until someone says that it isn't <laughs> while developing our own version so yeah it's going to be going to be quite exciting from that point of view you won't have to worry about you won't have to be talking about just little cutouts on the rear of a floor anymore thank god <laughs> On that note, we should wrap things up. Although just very quickly before anybody writes in to complain. Yes, I was referring to Kimi Raikkonen being Ferrari's last driver's world, uh, world champion in 2007. The last world title double in 2004. But of course, it was Constructors' champion in 2008 as well. We never, You'll never believe that I uh, forgot about that and then looked it up very quickly before saying all that. But anyway, Kev, what else is in the magazine this week? Uh, so yes, yeah, so the, the new era of the DTM uh, kicks off this weekend with sort of I'm going to call it GT3 Plus, even though it's not called that, but it's supposed to be the fastest GT3 cars in the world. And um, we've spoken to Alex Albon, um, to uh, who's, who's doing the DTM to see you know, what life is like away from from F1, what he's expecting. Um, and the first, the first round is at Monza, so that could be quite a good one. We've also uh, Marcus Simmons has has taken a look at the pure ETCR series. It's all electric tin tops where they're 
they reckon the drivers reckon the performance, certainly in a straight line, is better than the original Formula E cars. They, uh, they reckon they uh, they look pretty tasty, actually. So I look forward to seeing how how that goes. Uh, and then, of course, we've got the usual roundup from all the results. Gary Watkins was at uh, was at the Portimao Eight Hours, the World Endurance Championship. Marcus again was at Snetterton um, to cover the three races won by Colin Turkington, Ash Sutton, and Tom Ingram. Almost like they're the best drivers, even despite success ballast and turbo boost and all the other things that Alan Gow does to make it even. The three best drivers won the three races. Uh, and then, we, as I said before, we've got a, a 22-page national section ranging from uh, Autosports How Ridge having a go at a British Rallycross supercar, an actual round, all the way through all the reports uh, from the Toker Supports, Historics, and all the rest of it. So, yeah, Stephen Licorice and Stefan Mackley, hopefully right now, are enjoying a beer or just a lie-down, perhaps. Indeed, indeed. Um, well, you guys have been able to enjoy a beer throughout the podcast. I've been um, refraining from having alcohol just because it didn't really occur to me to do that. But there we go. Anyway, well, enough of that. That's our podcast. That's our podcast for today. But before we go, here's what you can see right now on autosport.com+. There's Megan White's feature on Red Bull Junior Yuri Vips, who looks to have put his single-seater career back on track with his two impressive victories in Baku earlier this month. Incidentally, I spotted him on my flight out to Baku. I was very confused about why he was wearing Alpha Tauri team kit. Back to what you can see on Autosport.com Plus, we've got Jonathan Noble discussing the recent successes of XF1 drivers now racing in America, plus, uh, as Kev mentioned, a selection of reports and news from last weekend's UK national racing scene. New Autosport Plus subscribers who sign up today can use the promo code PODCAST during checkout to save 50% off their first payment. Go to autosport.com slash plus and click sign in at the top of the page, then use promo code PODCAST for that 50% discount. Thanks for listening today and we'll be back soon. Mary redeemed a $50,000 cash prize playing Chumba Casino this year. I was only playing for fun, so winning this was a dream come true. Chumba Casino is America's number one social casino experience. It's serious fun. With over 80 casino-style games to choose from, you too could win life-changing amounts of cash. Be like Mary. Log on to ChumbaCasino.com and give them a whirl. That's ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. Void or prohibited by law. 18+. plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. The voice in the preceding commercial was not the actual voice of a winner. The Just Because Deal. Hey, oh, what's this? Breakfast from Mickey D's. From me? Yep. Why? Because it's morning and you like McDonald's. Let's eat while it's hot. There's a deal for every act of kindness at McDonald's. You don't need a reason when the one and only hot and melty sausage McMuffin with egg is just two fifty. dollars Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Podcast Network. Hey guys, it is Ryan. I'm not sure if you know this about me, but I'm a bit of a fun fanatic when I can. I like to work, but I like fun too. It's a thing. And now the truth is out there. I can tell you about my favorite place to have fun. Chumba Casino. They have hundreds of social casino style games to choose from with new games released each week. You can play for free anytime, anywhere and each day brings a new chance to collect daily bonuses. So join me in the fun. Sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. VGW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus.